Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. My name is Aaron, and across my living room from me today, longtime pal of mine, Mr. Zachary Scott Klein. Woo, what's up? Welcome to my house, man. <laughs> Thanks for having welcome me, Welcome to the leather chair that I inherited from my old roommate. Yeah, it's worn in. It's very nice. Yeah, he had that with him up in college when he was in Cleveland, Ohio, and somehow it's made its way into my house. If you could survive Cleveland, you could survive anything. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever played up there? Uh, we played... Have I played? No, I don't have it. Uh, we were going to play Toledo. Toledo but had to reschedule, so we played Detroit and drove through it. <laughs> so, but uh, not yet. But welcome to the thing, man. Welcome to the podcast. I can't <laughs> believe it's dude. taken eighty episodes to get you on. Because <laughs> I started this around the time uh, we would have probably become friends. That would have been summer of twenty twenty, right? Yeah, because I don't was, think we yeah. knew each other before that. Yeah, no, it was all. We're pandemic buds. Do you pandemic remember how pals. we met? I don't. I uh, I do. Um, it was at uh, Alley Taps. Sounds about right. Would that have been the night that you did that full band showcase, or would you have played the uh, the round? No, I did a round beforehand. Okay, and um, and because Alley Taps was. Yeah, Alley, I played did Alley Taps before I did um what's the one that closed down? Belcourt Taps. Yeah. And then Cabana Taps also. And then Cabana also Taps was after that when right. they were starting to do more stuff. So it had to be um had to have been Alley Taps. Had to have been Alley Taps. And I have like this memory of that it was member uh there's like that one like railing that's right in front of the stage. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's like I like tapped on your shoulder like a creep or something like that, but um. Yeah, dude. Those Tallest were, guy in the room. Dude, those were the most fun times, man. Like, holy moly. It feels like forever ago. <laughs> it does feel like forever ago. I guess, God, I mean, that was three years ago. Yeah. That yeah, was, it was three years ago. But it, like you said before we were recording, like, it feels like yesterday. Yeah. It really does feel like that stuff happened not that long ago. Yeah. It, it, it truly feels like I just got here and, like, in terms of, like, you know, Nashville's a 10 year town, which is bullshit, but <laughs> you know, we are still babies in, in that whole time here navigating this whole area and understanding what this magical place that weird, was, a, weird place that was is. a special magical time. It was, I, I do look back at that with such like road rose colored glasses because like, um, like everything was so new. Songs mm-hmm. just came out, right? You met people that played guitar, they're in your band. Yep. Like I didn't still don't necessarily, but I've learned a lot. But like you really didn't know what you were doing. You as the artist or like whatever. Like you just had no idea because you're so new to town at that point. And I felt so uh like at home when I would be at a lot of the tour stop events. Cause, Cause everyone... we were all like, we, we were all strangers together <laughs> yeah, and because dude. we all didn't know each other. We somehow felt like we knew each other. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, it was just so, it was so cool to like, uh, to be, it was a true think tank. And I don't think there's a lot of places in the U S if even the world that have in uh, such a solid environment like mm-hmm. that. And like, active environment like that that like is so wanting to create 
Because we were all so desperate to just do anything back mm-hmm. then. We Say just, yes to everything. We just uh, wanted to create. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily like, I want to create the next hit song. We did. But it was also just like, I just want to do something. Because we spent, what was it, three, four months? Yeah. Three months at home? Yeah. After that, we were just like, let's do literally whatever we can. Yeah. I I Before that tour stop, the last time I played with a band... Um, I was just playing guitar in a band and like trying to work on songs before tour stop. But that was like, we, I had a band called lonesome revival for about mm-hmm. six months. And actually my, one of my good buddies just from that band just got married. So that was a surreal moment <laughs> too. That was the first band. He was the first, like one of the first people I met in town, but those tour stop moments were like, Dude, outside of playing like punk bands back in San Francisco, that was the first time where I really like. You were in a punk band? Yeah, I played hardcore for like all of high school and college. I was a bassist in a hardcore (laughs) band. Have any idea? Yeah, dude, and like uh, and sang and like did all the screamo stuff. Listening to your music now, I never would have guessed that, (laughs) dude. It was like (laughs) I. uh, It was so much fun. Like, but that was the scene that was around. That was uh, that was what was being booked and what my buddies were playing. And like, there was no like songwriter or country music or like rock and roll was the definition was really punk was garage Mm -hmm. punk and uh it was a ton of fun but like those first times playing like i truly really never sang in front of folks so like that was such a learning time for me (laughs) I can still envision part of that show in my head where you raised your guitar neck up really high and it almost hit the ceiling. And I was like, oh, shit, is he going to like whack one of the lights on the stage? And then I ripped the strings off. I was so <laughs> amped. I, I, I was having a great time. Uh, that tiny, tiny stage. Little stage. And we put like six people on there. Yeah, and you did. <laughs> we put so just a wall of sound and I'm just screaming and no microphone. That place and, had the lowest ceilings. Of any venue. It really was a seller. It really was. And, but like, just to be a fly on the wall, you know what I mean? Like, to now see where all those people are at, and like, like the dude that was playing guitar that night, and one of my first friends there, like, he's playing guitar for Struggle Jennings. Wow. And like, playing all the stadiums and, Another dude is the basis for Meg Maroney. And like, that's crazy. It's just cool to see. And like our buddy Brandon, like playing Opry and everywhere and John Ollier and all of our friends, like really taking these next steps. And it's like really been getting to see our friends grow see. up. Yeah. Like it, and, and really think about a short amount of time and like in, in a lot of hard work. That's what I think honestly, dude is like what those times during the pandemic and during when we were at alley taps and bell court and, and, uh, you know, cabana is, I think it instilled like a, yes, a community, but also like a work ethic. Mm -hmm. Like everyone there wanted to be there really bad, really, really bad to the point where it was (laughs) almost to a fault. Yeah. Almost to a fault. Right. And like, but we were all wanting to be there so bad. So it it definitely created a, um, a drive in in myself and and a lot of people. And like, but look at the community, look at the last day, Belcourt, the last tour stop. Mm -hmm. I will remember that day. My, 
I really do thank my whole life with uh, that's to this day is still the greatest day of my career. I, I get, I literally have goosebumps thinking about it right now. <laughs> I remember I was sitting with Chelsea. We we're on the side of that stage, and you uh, played that night, right? Yeah, yeah. I played the round before John before and and before yours yeah. and before Brandon, and it was with Bo and playing guitar. Oh my and god, like, dude! Like that was so crazy and with Tim. Like, oh man, I like it was electric. It was, it was. It was fucking electric. There was not a person in that room who did not want to miss. Like everyone had to be there. Yeah. Like people still talk about that day because something special was happening. Yeah. I and wish it was. like We were all there to fun. celebrate how much we loved that tiny ass stage. Yeah. Do you know that? Did you know that the stage was actually bathroom shelving? It was I'm not actually, surprised. It was bathroom shelving. They that had turned a whole, over. They had a shower curtain in front. It was just, <laughs> it was just spare bathroom parts. Yep. Yeah. The oh my god, the shower curtain. I yeah. haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah, dude. It was it one was hell of a misnomer gross. thinking that it was actually doing anything. None. It did nothing. It, <laughs> it just really blurred who was up there. It like, uh, yeah, like some of the, you know, some of the greatest songs I've heard in like written and like truly some of the worst songs I've ever written I've played, but like, fuck, you need a place to you like, you need a place that you have to, that's just safe to try that. Yeah. You also need a place to be like, okay, I can't play and drink a lot of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think about that too. Like how, how different my life is now. I'm almost 30 yeah. and how just much, I consumed back in the Alex yeah. Taps days because that beer shot combo was seven dollars. Yeah, that's it. That that is a great price. Yeah, thirty five bucks, and you could have ten drinks. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's really not eating in the budget. Like, you know, that's 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 a good night. And like, I think back, like, in a very, in like when you move to Nashville, you if you have uh, a consumption problem you're gonna figure out real quick and i I had to tone it back a lot a lot too because it's everywhere every time you go out you know we're we're drinking and it's affordable Mm -hmm. and like uh you know but that i think is that's a that's a obstacle i think a lot of folks who who move here have to figure out and have to learn because Uh, so much of the scene here is just drinking yeah like 100%. If, if you don't want to go out for a drink, you won't get invited to the, to the Sadly, next thing. Yeah. Sadly. And, uh, and it's not, it's not because, Oh, well we don't want to invite you because you, you don't like to drink. It's like, we think about the things that our friends like to do. Yeah. And it's, it's not even deliberate to not invite people that don't drink, but like that is part of it. And it, it sucks. Is. It is. Yeah. And like, there is a huge sober community in Nashville and like it's growing a lot too. Yeah. And like, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources for folks. Um, you know, in my life, there's definitely been like utilizing a lot of those resources and like, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of help out there, I will say. And there's you a lot quit of drinking for a while. I uh, did, yeah. Yeah. My uh my my wife is sober and so like it's definitely something that's like, you know, I'm so immensely proud of her and like what she's done for her life and like, you know, what's done for our relationship and like but we've definitely had our own Nashville experience mm-hmm. with that and like, you know, it's um yeah. That's one of the things that I 
find so backwards about my job with tour stop is like I'm paid to drink and hang out at the bars. Yeah. So the last thing I want to do when I'm not working is is drink and go to a bar. Drink and hang out at the bars. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like I guess you know about to one really changing part of our life in looking at Nashville in a very different way. Like there's, there is not a lot to do here other than, Mm -hmm. other than drink and eat. And and that's kind of the ecosystem of this town. I think anybody would agree with that. And it's just like, you know, like we were talking about before getting older and like, you know, you're just valuing different things. You change, you know, there's different parts of what you want and how you want to spend your time. And, uh, man, like we've been really, it's been cool to like, for us to like explore different parts of Nashville, different parts of Tennessee, different parts of like, um, just this part of the country that like are still interesting to do other than having to, you know, go to a bar and stuff like that. So it's nice. Also just developing other hobbies. Yeah, man. Like I got pretty good at drinking though. (laughs) I got pretty good at it. Pretty good at it. (laughs) Pretty good at it. Yeah. I was talking to a girl the other day who's from Colorado and she was like, oh yeah, I can out drink you. And I was like, honey, no, (laughs) soon that will not be something. I was like, I hate, I hate saying that you can, but I'm like, I know. Yeah. (laughs) I've, uh, um, also what a weird thing to brag about. Yeah, I can out drink you. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely you know, but we all, it's it's it, look. It's the thing you know. It's it makes people feel more comfortable. It makes uh, it, you know. It's definitely makes me feel more comfortable. It makes a lot of folks. It's a social lubricant for sure. It is, and then you know, there's definitely there's a difference between a crutch and a wheelchair for sure, mm-hmm. and, and that's I think definitely been um, you know as you're around it more and the, the core of why folks drink is is uh i think the real question right and some folks don't have an issue with it and some some do and but there is definitely a lot of resources in town for that help if needed so yeah that's cool man so let's talk about the uh the growing up out in california what part did you grow up in danville i was out in the east bay just about 30 45 minutes east of san francisco um so basically just greater metro san francisco yeah pretty much it it was you know you have to cross a bridge and go through a tunnel right so it is very it's the suburbs you know it's just uh typical type of upbringing to be honest but like um you come from a musical family no definitely definitely not i came from uh a sports family to be honest with you my uh my dad is from lynchburg virginia my mom grew up kind of all around california but uh east bay more or less she actually went to the same high school that i did my okay. aunt did my sister did you know so <laughs> there's a lot of family uh roots run deep but like all my family's in fresno area okay. and Reedley, that's kind of where they were and they had a produce still do have a produce business out there so like not a musical family i was the first one that really like what made you want to do that what made you want to pick up a guitar it was it was mine it was something that was like i didn't have a coach i didn't have a team it was didn't feel obligated not not that i ever felt obligated to do it but it was just like none no one else my buddies were doing it and like the friends i made weren't because of football practice it was because you know it felt very much mine i stole my sister's guitar and that's where i started (laughs) playing guitar um and i loved it you know uh I was lucky to like 
not everybody, especially in that time, like, you know, early 2000s, like not everyone's parents were like wanting them to play music and do sports and do all mm-hmm. these things. Right. It was, there was, uh, I was just lucky to have parents that were like cool with that. And like, let me be in bands. Supportive, and, whatever it was that you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And like, in like definitely fostered that and like, but that being said, football was always the, that's that what you directive. do. Like if I was like, I don't want to do this anymore and I want to play guitar. I don't think that would have gone gotcha. really over well, but like, what position did you play? I was a quarterback, and uh, wow. I took it as as far I think as I could take it, and the genetics and work ethic could take it. Um, did you play through uh, high school or college? I, I went all the way to pro ball up in Canada, and that's where I met Chelsea. That's where I met her. She was a cheerleader on the team, but uh, played pro ball in Canada. Yeah, played what? in the CFL for Man, two I'm years. So much about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I played for the Edmonton Eskimos, which are now the Edmonton Elk. Um. I met my wife up there, like went through a lot of, I didn't uh, know she was Canadian either. Yeah, man. Yeah. She's, uh, Edmonton, Alberta, but yeah, I, I, I went to uh, UC Berkeley, played football there. Then I transferred to a junior college. Then I went to Indiana state then went back to Cal to graduate. And like, I thought I was going to finish actually there. And then, uh, last minute, I ended up transferring to Fresno State. Wow. So I bounced around a lot, but I think that like kind of like road dog mentality definitely it a it allowed me to see a lot of the country. That's cool. I was playing music and writing songs throughout that whole time and being introduced to like there was no country music in a bar when mm-hmm. I was in college at Cal, you know. It was like I said, it was a lot of rock and roll or hardcore and stuff like that or like but you go outside of the country and you see a different thing and you also see people for really what they are. I think like for me, everyone has a perspective and a, and, or at least they tend to gravitate towards a certain perspective when they write a song mm-hmm. or like a certain voice when they write a song. And for me, like so much of my, I think where I started as a songwriter was observational of like wanting to see like the, what is the real parts of this country and like what are real people doing and saying and thinking and things like that. Like what are the things that we don't, when we're not told and we're not like, because living in big Metro cities, we kind of get spoiled because there's so much opportunity here, but then we forget that there's like, there's a lot of the country outside of our little bubbles. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of like life that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, like, when it comes to songs and stuff like you're interpreting life through, you know, music and like, what is that interpretation? And so like a lot of me jumping around and, and, and moving and having these different experiences and having friends from different walks of life, like I think definitely like helped that foundation of like appreciating, um, what's worth writing about and like honing that, thing and for at least for me right there's like when i when i know there's a moment that's worth putting to a page like i I get really excited for it but there's also moments that aren't meant for the sound wave right there's moments that are just supposed to be has observation always been a big part of your creative process yeah like for me it's like i'm a very visual learner Mm -hmm. in things and so like i really want to see I want to, I want to see things and like develop a story from like the, the point of view, I guess. 
Um, because like a tagline or something like that is great, but like I want to see the story in the writing. I want to like actually like see what's going on and feel it. And so I think like you know, a lot of like most people's first songs, it's they're not in a co-write, right? You're in you're, you're alone in your room or wherever, and something called you to write a song. Like what right. happened? Have you write in like? you know, just filling your life with more experiences was kind of, for me, was that first step, like experience shit that you never have before. And like, for some reason I wanted to write a song about things like that. And I think that really helped me in like the first for like my creative, I guess, like process, even then, like, I didn't really know. I always liked writing songs and writing just period. Um, but didn't really know how to write. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really am lucky to have been able to like see a lot of this country and like, not like the pretty parts, like right. <laughs> to see like, you know, you know, the, the Terre Haute, Indiana and like, mm-hmm. I, I love Terre Haute. I think it's awesome, but like, it's not a huge city. Not a lot of people know where Terre Haute, Indiana Going is. Going seeing what the country really looks like. It does give you a different perspective. Yeah, and like I think and it makes growing you appreciate up in California, the kinds of things you do have. Yeah, and like being around, like growing up in California or only around Californians, you definitely get a certain narrative of things, mm-hmm. and then you then you leave that, and then you you know you see what other folks are going through, and so, um, but yeah, but for you know back to like what I was doing, like football was always that was really like the 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 first love, or at least the the thing that I always was doing and uh i just put in a lot of time man like your parents put so much effort into your development in something like that like the amount of money the amount of time the amount of meals the amount of the grocery list the everything where it's like for me i needed to see that through like mm-hmm. i always if you asked me in college like zach would you rather play a side stage at coachella or go in the nfl i would have said coachella at the drop mm-hmm. of a hat it was always something but it's like there's you know there's things in life that you got to do. You got to. And, and um, that compulsion that's inside of you. Yeah. And like, it's like, there's always time. I think for me, like, you know, there's been folks that have been playing music since they were in the van since they were 18. And I would have loved to have done that. Like, I would have loved to have been on the road and really cutting my teeth at that age. And I respect folks that have done that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I needed that time to understand like w- what I want to do um, with my life. And so like by playing and spending my time doing that and like getting that done, um, I think it allowed me to like look at this now in, in a, in a really healthy way in a, in a really like focused way. So when did uh, you transition from the punk hardcore stuff to the country music? Um, I started when I heard, uh, Jason Isabel, uh, Southeastern when I was so good (laughs) when I was, uh, 19 and I started like listening to that a lot more in tandem with like the misfits and Mm -hmm. things like that and black flag and stuff. And like, just like started to like, do I even like this at first? Right. And so Jason Isabel was like, really like the first artist where I was like, I fell in love with an observational song. And like, um, from there, like all that alt country stuff 
like everything from the truckers to Ryan Adams and the Cardinals to Whiskey Town, man, the list goes on, you know, old 97s, like all of that right. 1990s, early 2000s alt country stuff is like, that is my musical foundation. And like, that's the stuff where like, there's so much um, innovation and like, it really honestly is like the punk era of country music. Right. Like that, all that alt country stuff to me, what punk was to rock and roll, alt country is to country music. Cause it's not, it, it's not like country, like, Oh, I'm in my truck and here's my dog. No, it's, it's singing about real life, singing about real life. It's singing about, you know, uh, the opioid epidemic mm-hmm. and like it's singing about abuse of all forms. It's singing about the dark parts of, of this right. life that we live, but also like the little wins of the day too. You know what I mean? Like these little like uh, things that like seem trivial, but like they do carry a lot of meaning. It's like, what are, what are those moments? And to me, I think that also like, changes your view of like what's worth writing a song about. Right. And like, that is a huge thing of like, everyone has a different compass. Everyone should have a different compass and a different filter for that because that makes each artist their own, you know, Mm -hmm. each writer their own. Um, But obviously your influences in what they're singing about will, will then, you know, kind of do the same for you and like, they'll influence you. That kind of thing is one of the the issues with pop country that I've always found is they're all so many of these artists are trying to write the same song. Yeah, they're all trying to write the same song, and for the lack of a better term, they are. Yeah, they're writing the same thing over and over, and none of it is real life. No, yeah, no, no. song about drinking a beer in the back of a pickup truck. Sure, yeah, that has happened, but it's it's like the shiny country music versus what's like actually happening. Like, sure. You can drink that beer, but if you drink six more, it's not going to feel great. Yeah. I want to, you know, the pop country is the moment of time when you've drank six beers and you're, and you're, and you're, uh, you know, having that moment with that significant other alt country is the drive home when you get pulled over and now you're in jail. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's, a great metaphor. That that's the difference between, and not everybody wants to look at that moment. Right. And so Even like, though that's half of the story that's yeah. And that's, and that's to me, the meat of it all, you know what I mean? And like, I think that not everybody too, like, you know, and to pop country's defense, not everybody wants to listen to a, a, a real song like that. They, mm-hmm. Some people just want to turn it on and tune out and that's fine. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, and, and from the pop country perspective, that shit sale sells. And so if I'm a salesperson, I'm looking at, a pop country song. I'm going, Hey, I know how to sell this. You know what I mean? I know that there's a palette for this yep. and like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's not for me, it's not what I like really st- wrote and was influenced by. So it's like, it's really hard for me to like write a pop country song. Like I, that's a talent in its own. I can't, I, I can't do that. It mean a pop country, right? It's not going to be a pop country song and, and that's okay. It's just, I'm not, I'm just not that type of writer. Um, and, uh, but I was, man, when they, it's good, man, fuck, I respect the hell out of it. Like a good pop country tune that makes you turn your head and you're like, shit, right. you're like, it, it really does restore a lot <laughs> of like that. And there's, and there's a lot of that. And I think that to piggyback, like 
Yes, for a long time, the bro country regime has played its course. Mm-hmm. But I do think there is like this new type of mainstream commercial country music, corporate country music that I think is corporate like now country li- music. I've never heard that terminology before. Yeah, I think it. That's because I think that's the thing that I, I've been want, like you know putting it towards is that I think now maybe the corporate country music is looking for the artist. And the songwriter mm-hmm. and being like, all right, well, we've tried this. Let's try something else. Let's try something else, right? Because I think maybe you look at TikTok and you look at like the the degrees of separation between the listener and the and the creator are right. right there. And and so that's changed a lot of things, sure. But like I do think you're having some a a, a little bit larger of a palette for like look at Lainey Wilson. Right. La- you take Lainey Wilson, she is on top of the world. She's not making traditional pop country. Uh, She's at the top of her game right now. Heart like a truck, or, or like, or mm-hmm. I, I, you know, like holy that album. We listen to that. Uh, like my band listened to that from t- Tulsa, Oklahoma, all the way back to Nashville. We were on a run, <laughs> really? and dude, we loved it. Like it was just Lainey Wilson for like cool. eight hours, and it was like when usually it's you know it's it's a bunch it's a myriad of stuff, but like. It so much respect to like if that is where the ship is going. That's a okay with me. Hell yeah, dude! And then you put all the 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 Ben Chapman and the and the Meg McCrees and the Harper O'Neills and everyone in that camp, and like what they're doing now. We're now it's a very innovative and creative and song first and like like that. I think is the new horizon of and that's like it's in a good spot. Like that's something that I've noticed less of is that generic, just, Oh gosh, what's the mad lib country. Yeah. I've noticed less of that. Yeah. There is less. And like, it's always still going to be around. Cause I think like that it does like sell, right? Not everybody mm-hmm. again, back to the thing, not everybody's going to want to get their heart ripped out all the time. But I think people are looking at, look at, there's two people, Lainey Wilson and Zach Bryan. Mm-hmm. And those are two people that have a, don't have, like a traditional sound, but also um, they push the envelope in subject matter too. Uh, and and uh, Zach Bryan's pushing the envelope on more things just musically. Like, isn't he fighting Ticketmaster? Yeah, fighting Ticketmaster. Um, I think like he'll go also too, like just in a day to day sense of what that dude does, like production wise, how he rolls out his songs. Dude drops like a 30 song record and like, just like, here it is. <laughs> and it was like out of tune guitar, just so much passion and feeling. I'm like people, I think we're, we're in a drought of raw, emotional, real, mm-hmm. like songwriting and, and, and how that's in artistry and that they're on top of the world, you know? And I think both of them would say right place, right time too. Right. And like, you know what I mean? Like, but man have has that opened up a lot of other avenues for other artists too and so it showed that you don't have to be that mad lib type country artist to be successful right and like to, thank god right and like and i think success too is something the more i've been in town that has now gotten into a very more real sense like mm-hmm. what is success and success can be it's a thousand things it's a thousand things right and like and so, you know, I, well, what is success to you then? Success to me is, um, I, I, 
there's a there's a flowery term to it of like it's whatever you want it to be and whether you're happy. Okay, yeah, for sure, of course you want to be happy in what you're doing. But to me, it's like, can you pay your bills doing music alone? Right. That's been the only marker of success. Can I pay my bills doing music alone? And that's where I'm like, I'm doing what I've set out to do. It's like I want this to be my job, and I want to create the best business and best project that I can to to keep it going because at the end of the day, we all got to have a job. We all got to work. There's no, there's no sidestep. I think when people set out to get famous, that's the wrong attitude. Yeah, dude. I'd rather play music than fucking sit behind an office sit behind a desk. And it's like, what I think the biggest question is like, what do you want to do for a living? And what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And like a work sense, I'm like, for me, I want to cultivate my project and have that be a profitable endeavor that a, I'm creating artistry. And it's also like, I'm, I've created my project in a way that's not going to break the bank. I'm bringing home, I'm paying my people a good, uh, rate. Um, the van's on the road moving. I'm not relying on outside things that are, are temporary. Right. Um, I'm owning masters or what have you. Like there's that to me is success where like you have control of your project and you know what's going in and what's coming out. Um, that's what I would say success is. I think a, it, it, that's a good attitude to have towards it because I know so many of people who've gotten, oh, I got signed. And then you see them desperately trying to get out of these bad deals yeah. because they were just chasing success for the wrong reason. Yeah. The vanity of it all. And like, but I, but also too, like I do get it. Like we're in a, we're in an environment where it seems like the artist is kind of vulnerable mm -hmm. and like, and for sure, even with, even with TikTok, like, look at that, like that has created very shoddy deals. Right. And, and, um, and these labels will drop you like that. No questions asked if your second single doesn't pick up. Yeah. And I think we have, and we've talked about this also in the van a lot is that you are now seeing two types of artistry. And this, I feel like has been around for a long time, but you have the blue collar artistry and you have the white collar artistry. And that I think in different ways that has been around since the dawn of mm -hmm. music as a, as a job. Um, but I think even more so now you have to have a decision. You have to have a choice of like what you want to do. Do you want to be a blue collar artist in that? Now, what do you mean by blue collar and white collar? Just for the people who may not understand that terminology. Yeah. So like a, to me, a blue collar artist is one that's going to go and book your own stuff. That's going to go out and play Smith's old bar and like road dog it. You're going to road dog it. And you know what? Each one of these old spots, you're going to look on the wall and you're going to see these stickers and it's going to be the same damn stickers that you see at every one of these places. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to see Kieran McMullen's name. And I did, I, I took a picture of it at, at, at Smith's <laughs> and I sent it to him and like, I put mine up there and like, dude, like, and you see bands that make it and like, yep. those are the same bands like American Aquarium that can, can tour 15, 20 years later and they're going to fill out a 500 cap room and they're going to consecutively do that. And that's, that's a blue collar band. Now this is a thing that's hard, hard and it's going to cost a lot and you're going to, you're going to lose more than you gain and, and you're going to, uh, but you're not going to shortchange your artistry. Mm -hmm. You're not going to shortchange your message. You're not going to, for instance, sell out, even <laughs> though that's a stupid ass word, but like, but whereas the white collar is like, Maybe I'm going to, and there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's a choice, right? Mm -hmm. You could you just decide what you want to do. And I think some of that is like, well, I'm just going to get TikTok famous and I'm going to, I'm going to then, you know, I'm going to make it that way. Right. And which is fine, you know, but there's going to come a point where your ass is going to need to get on stage and you're going to need to know how to do all that. 
You're going to need to know how to. I've been talking with a friend of ours about that very thing about these TikTok artists want to play shows and they'll get signed and they have to play shows. Yeah. But when they do finally get booked, we as talent buyers, we watch them and we're like, you're boring. Yeah. It's not entertaining. Yeah. Everyone's here to hear the one song that went viral. Yeah. And it's it's heartbreaking seeing some of these artists on stage look bored. Or They're, they look scared. Bored. Yes. And like and I don't blame them because I am scared all the fucking time. Like that's just part of life. And like going back to medicating, that's scared is leads to medicating sometimes. But like um to that point draw draws the most important thing mm-hmm. that to an artist a lot of times traditionally was if i could go to 10 markets get 200 300 people in a room blue collar artists can send an email that says i sell an average of 175 tickets a night period yeah and when, then whenever a tiktok artists manager might say well in this town we did 17 and in this town we did 300 yeah and then the talent buyer is going to see that and be like uh, I'm not going to chance the 17. It's a gamble. It's a, it's a gamble. And it's like, you know, that's the thing is to get to, I've, I've realized this now and I'm, and where I'm at in my career. And, and like, obviously talking with mentors like John Ollier, our buddy, and, and a lot of other friends of like how fucking hard it is yep. to get hundred people in Nashville in a room for it's your own show. Impossible. Very hard. And it takes years. It's taken me four years in playing tour stop and meeting and to get a draw that I'm very happy with. And now I got to do that shit in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I got to do that shit in Charlotte. I got to keep going and keep hitting the road because that's, that's what, to me, that's what I wanted. That's where I want to take my project. And that's where it's going to, that's where I want that to live. And there's no right or wrong way to go about it. Each one has its own pros and cons. It's just, you got to know yourself as an artist and what your, what your, you know, intention is, right? Yeah, and follow on that intention to what will make you happy as a, a human rather than just a... Exactly. Just a... Because so many of our friends may also be playing these huge successful shows with yeah. hundreds of people and they may hate it. Yeah, Because truly. they might not be playing the songs that meant something to them. Yeah. But they have to play this song that went viral. And you know, cause everyone, everyone got a mortgage, everyone got a rent and I get mm. it. Like, you know, that's the thing. Like I will gladly play guitar at, you know, country thunder or like whatever I would totally like people got to do that. Of course. Like we are adults. This is a big boy game. And like, um, I, you know, I think that's one thing is like you come to Nashville, especially in the non country, uh, genres and, you know, you get to sometimes in East Nashville and some areas like that. Mm-hmm. And like, and you hear like, there is shade to sometimes. And it's like, that's just not like, I feel like that gets fizzled out and you grow out of that. Yeah. Cause it's like, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to pay our bills, man. Yeah. Regardless of what that is. So, you know, that does end. I think anyone who comes here, they do hear that if they're in the non-country thing and there's, you know, like high school, there's some clicks, but like, if you do it long enough, you don't care who you play for. You don't care what you do. You just right. do it. You got to pay the bills, man. And you, you choose what is worth it and what's, what's you can't. And, and hopefully you can fill in those passion projects and hopefully those passion projects end up financially helping you out so that you can, so it could fill all the buckets, but that's rare. Fuck me. That's it's rare. really rare. And so, you know, the fact that folks are out on the road and doing it, and that is a win. You know what I mean? 
That's a huge win. And using the basement as an example, I just saw your show there where uh, you played with the band and had Gil Costello, their talent buyer, uh, open up for you. It's cool getting to see the progress from you playing the rounds to you being the headliner on the show. Yeah. And knowing that you can have a hundred plus people come out. Dude, it's, it's, it's validation that something's working. Yeah. And it's also validation to a community and like seeing you seeing everyone that showed up there. It's like time and time again, like when I play, I know folks are going to go there whether it's because they like the music or the fact that it's a good time. Like, I don't care. I just, you know what I mean? I, I just, you want to come want party people to have a good cool. time. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it, I couldn't do this right. without all those people. If no one want, if half of those people didn't want to show up, I don't have a leg to stand on. You know what I mean? Like I, as an artist need that and mm-hmm. I need people to come and I have, to, and I value like, the time, because you could go anywhere in Nashville, like on a Thursday or and a fucking good Monday, music. and hear good music, yeah, and or even just sit at home, dude, and yeah. like, and like I, so whenever anyone comes out, it's like, dude, thank you, like you had a thousand other things to do, and you chose to come here and pay ten dollars and listen for two hours and hear this, and it's like, and and I know like folks that came and and got to hear Gill, like. Holy shit. So many times we know Gil of just the guy behind the email and getting, making sure that like setting the show up and setting the, you know, doing talent buyer, but to allow him to be behind the silver ball and to be able to see the other, everyone else to see the people care about him. Yeah, dude, it was truly a beautiful night. And like, as his friend, like his songs are gorgeous and, and there's so much, there's there's a feeling in that room, and if there's anything I ever want to do at my shows is create a feeling, a palpable feeling, and a palpable feeling of community in my at my shows, regardless if I'm playing the basement, Smith's old bar, or the fucking Ryman. I want everyone to be there and to feel welcome and to feel like we're all here together to to have a good time and and to connect. Um, and you know if that if I can achieve that, you know I'm gonna I'll keep doing it and. Uh, so yeah, man, it's been fun to like watch this grow and appreciate and to appreciate it too. Wow, I really couldn't say anything better than you just said. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. I fucked up and didn't record <laughs> everything Zach just said, which was amazing. But we were in the break talking about uh, some new music you're working on. Yeah. You've uh, you've been putting out music for quite a while, but you're in the process of making some new records. Yeah. What's, uh, what's that process look like right now? What, at what point in the process are you? I am in the uh, saving money process. <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the working uh, my job process, um, which I'm currently on my lunch break for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Life of Nashville songwriter. Uh, to me, uh, so I recorded my last record and Drugs, Jesus, and Fireworks, and like that can go hand in hand with like the tour stop, mm-hmm. like community, and like all of each one of those songs I played. At one of your rounds. You road tested on 
Each one. Did all of those rounds. If not, wrote that day and played it there and, <laughs> and wrote with Henry and wrote with John or wrote with Matt Greer or like, so, you know, something in there. Wrote Shout it. out regular glaze Matt yeah, Greer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he played Whiskey Jam the other day. It was great seeing him doing his, his own dude. music off, off Broadway and like, and is yeah, killer player. Um, but like, that was so like, all right, record it and put it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and like, then someone's like, all right, you have money to promote. I'm like, no, I spent it all on the record. So now, um, now just learning from mistakes and learning from past, uh, tendencies. Now I'm right now I've, I got a fair amount of the record written. You know, I, I'm how I write a song is it's, I'll usually all start on the acoustic, acoustic guitar. And then, and then I, just bring them to a band. But like, I rely so much on my band and pre-pro to be like, what is the vibe? Cause so much of, I think my songs can go, okay, are we going to go American aquarium with this and make it a rock and roll tune? Or are we like Moreland prime in this? And mm-hmm. like, that's the thing with like, I think that alt country thing is like, what do we want to be in? What is this saying? What is this record saying? And so for this one, I want to be a lot more intentional. It's got to be sonically cohesive. It's got to be thematically cohesive. It's got to be um, just the songs need to be interesting and cool. And and there has to be something like, why am I making this record? Like, what's the point of this record? What's the message of this record? And I think for me, it's like, I want to get down on that mission statement of like, what am I even saying? And like, Drugs Jesus was such an observational record where I was saying, see that over there? See that dumpster fire? This is what's wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Now, this is me looking in the mirror and going, this is what's wrong with me. Right. And so it's a lot more introspective of like, I am, I am the, the thing to, to criticize. And it is, it is, it is, I'm, it's an, I want it to be an honest record, but is, yeah, it's somewhat a, a mental health record, but like, whatever the fuck that means. But like, I want it addresses the issues that some people are not scared, but maybe don't want to talk about. Yeah. Cause it could be a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And like, I want the I in this to be very much like, this is a record about how I feel about myself. And in that I want it to be chaotic. I want it to be weird. I want it to be quiet. I want it to be loud, but I want it to flow. And I don't know. I've been listening to a shitload of Ryan Adams. Cause I feel like he's a tragic individual that mm-hmm. makes beautiful, beautiful songs. And it like, <laughs> goddamn, it, like going, it, you know, just as a, as a, as an artist alone, we're talking here. I absolutely just have d- dove into his catalog to help me understand how I want to, to approach even a record. And then from there going into how Ramirez, David Ramirez is doing it. And like these idols of mine, right. You know, and like, you're going, why did they think it there going on? I'll scour YouTube and like, look up these interviews with these guys and be like, um, what their process was for the record. How did they go about it? Cause I don't know shit. I don't, I, you know, I think you write 10 songs and you go record 10 songs, but like so much of these guys sometimes will, they'll go in with four. And then they'll write it. They'll be like, well, I don't know what this record is saying. Maybe they'll write it in the studio. Then maybe they'll write it mm-hmm. after they record those initial six. So like for me, I'm taking some bits and pieces of like just researching how others have done their second record or like 
just kind of like learning from afar. And like, so I went in and we recorded six songs in one day. Wow. Uh, uh, but we crushed it, man. Were like, you live tracking everything? Yeah, we live track it all. Um, I, I, we want as minimal overdubs as possible because I want to keep, especially for this one, if this is an introspective record about me and my, what I fucking hate about myself, then it needs to be raw. It mm -hmm. needs to be real. And like, so I even want like the vocal. I don't want to, I like, I want it to be the best vocal take from start to finish. Right. I don't want to go in and do too much cutting because I want it to be that moment. And, um, which Capturing is also magic like that's hard, but hard. when you do, you know it, you know it. Cause like to me, I'm going scorched earth, man. I might not make another record. I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. I'm having, you know what I mean? I want to, of course I'm, I'm always going to do music. I'm always going to make music, but I'm going into every record that I make as if it's the last one I'm going wow. to make because there, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's anything that's promised and I'm going into this record as if it's the last one I'm going to make because you never know what can happen, man. I could die tomorrow. But like, right. um, for me, it's like, dude, I want to go in and catch lightning in a bottle. And I don't care if that takes five times of us doing the track. Um, there's an old, uh, an old Tom Petty quote when they were talking about recording uh, refugee and they live tracked the entire song on the record, but they did, I think it was 200 and something like 217 takes of the yeah. song to catch that one perfect, completely live track. Yeah. And you can go listen to it. And there's a reason that it sounds electric. Yeah. It's because it was perfect. Yeah. And they played every instrument at the same time perfectly. Yeah. And Sure, it's not actually perfect, but it was perfect human. for that moment. It's human. It was human. Yeah. And that's what so many people lose in this hyper-produced digital age with overdubs where you can listen to a song and a vocal track could have 40 punches in it. And you're like, this. they didn't sing any of this together. Yeah. Not over weeks, it could be a different comp. And that's what I love about this, this raw thing that you're doing. I appreciate it, man. Like, I To me, it's like, I've even went as far as like, I, A, it's like so what you can afford and what I can't necessarily afford to go into a studio. I don't have, I don't have management. I don't got a booking agent. I don't got a label like, like most people don't. Mm -hmm. But like, so all this is like, I'm, I'm eating what I'm killing right now. I'm, I'm paying. And so I want to record it at my house, like band in my recording space, in my rehearsal space at the house. And it's a big high ceiling room. It's, it's a converted garage, but I'm like, dude, if I want to catch lightning in a bottle, then I have to go to the the heart of where I feel comfortable. Here. And I, at home. Right here at home. And I want to do it where we everyone comes over, we're there all day, we're barbecuing, the dogs are there. I want you to hear them barking in 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 the That's background. Real shit. Like I want when people turn on that record to step into my fucking room. And one whether, of my favorite records of all time is a Foo Fighters album that recorded in Dave Grohl's garage. Yeah. And you can feel that you could feel it and sometimes there's tracks that like we got lucky enough to record at welcome 1979 mm -hmm. again for these next six songs so like there is something really beautiful about that bass and drum sound for sure uh but we would record all the guitars like we will dub there's some of the guitar work that um we're definitely going to keep and like some of those tones that we're definitely going to keep but like um We'll do some of the guitar work at uh, at the house, but the next twelve songs, I want it to be all 
band in the room at the house and then we'll we'll shape from there and because i think if you could get a good take and if you can get it mic'd and you could get a band playing together um that that goes a long way and i think that's something that is like really truly a a something that lasts on that same note so much of i think for me technically what i'm looking for is something I want to control the ceiling of the record because if you get too raucous with with a, a record that's in your house, it could sound washy because mm-hmm. it's like obviously you need to treat the room and and a, a home from 1965 is not treated right and like I don't have a huge budget to treat it like Blackbird right so like I need to keep it so it's like if we're gonna do it we we, we got to control the ceiling of of what this record is and how how. Uh, how loud we're getting, <laughs> but also be creative. Like, you know, if we're going to crank a, a, you know, a, a tremolux, then we got to do it in a, in a way that's really interesting. We really got to put our creative hats on here. And like, that's the most fun part. I'm really stoked to like, see where this goes. We got theoretically half of the songs recorded and I have another eight that I'm like, I'm recording these. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we'll see. I'm also still actively writing. So it's like, if there's something where I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm doing is like, I'm writing with my band too is something that I didn't do. Cause now I actually have guys that I'm like, I've learned now of like who I want in my, not like I'm exclusive, but like, you know, what is working for like in my camp of like, I'm going to try my hardest to have this person be the same guitar player all the time. This person be the same drummer all the time. This person be the same. You start basis. getting that dynamic. Yes. And that is like, if I want lightning in a bottle, then I have to, I have to get that. And I have to really choose this band wisely. And, um, so in that I want to write with these guys. So, uh, Dave Austin and Ray Akers, I've written a, a, a major, almost a, a good amount of these tunes, but the shaping of it all, like then the leaving our mark of like what this makeup of folks is and like and Aaron Lawson was the drummer in my last record and he is the drummer for cool my band and the this record now um like I want that to be that working of like all right this is our small group we're gonna make a record with these guys and like so I want it to feel like a band I want it to feel like a band but I want it to feel like you're in the room and like it's been cool to to see that. Giving and, other people the ownership of the song too makes them care about the project more too. Yeah, because I don't give a shit if if all songs are all songs written and recorded by Zachary Scott Klein. Like, there's some that will be written fully only by me. That should be right if there's certain subject right. matter that should right. You can't, rec- but there's some that like I, I need I need collaboration because I think that leads to certain parts of my writing and, and where I want my music to go that I just can't get to. Right. Right. Um, and it's been really cool. Like have guys like young guns, like Max Wiltsey was the drummer on our, uh, that two month tour that we did all throughout the Midwest and Southeast. And he was like 23 years old and he like definitely made me reimagine how certain drum parts are and certain things like that. Um, so it's been really cool the past six months to, um, to look back at what I've done and wanted to value in my project and like see these folks like really pour so much effort into it. And like, it's, it's really a heartwarming thing to like see your friends give a shit, you know what yeah. I mean? And like, fuck man, it, it really gets you excited for that group of people when, when they are in the same room, you like, I'm like, 
I feel so confident and 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 it's a safe, comfortable. It's a safe kind of a creative space. Yeah. To where if you say something and somebody else is like, I don't think that's right for this song. You actually start to value their, Oh yeah. Their input because you know, they're invested in the, the, the whole rather than just the part. We we've kind of made a dynamic and, and I have Jeremy Bernstein to, to have kind of really thank for this and instilling. Cause he shaped, he's, he taught me, he's taught me so much. So, so goddamn much about just, etiquette of things, how things should be done in the recording space. And also just as an artist and a songwriter in general, and like, and like looking at musically of these things, like truly owe him a lot. And, and there's a lot of people that I do. And, uh, he, how he's always made me look at my songs, n- not as like my little kids, you know what I mean? But as these inanimate objects that don't have life yet. And to tr- knock them down, break them up, like totally look at them so critically at the start and to create a safe space for your band to look at critically. Mm-hmm. So you could be like, I hate that. I don't like that part. It's not, it's not messing with me. I don't like that. Or that's, that line's not very good. And to be able to kind of be a little brutal about certain things where it's like, when you get to town, you write a song, you so near and dear to you. When someone goes, I don't like that song. Precious. Break, it can break you. You know what I mean? Where it's like, now it's like, you can't, if someone's doing something, or if I'm singing in a certain way, or if a line's coming out, or if there's a certain way of it's being played, your people that you, that are in this creative process need to be able to have the freedom to say, I don't like that. Yeah. And you don't want yes, man. You don't, you can't You want people who can say that sucked. Let's yeah. not do that because then you're going to say, wow, okay. If you didn't like that and you're my friend, that means everyone else who's not my friend probably also wouldn't like it. Right. You know, you're going to get, if you, if you, if you, you know, talk straight, you know, you usually you're going to get the best out of something. totally. And so have you thought about what you want to call this new, uh, this new record? Yeah, I, I do. I'm actually, um, I'm not going to name it after a song. Gotcha. Cause I not, I'm not fully like there yet on like whether I am about it, but I think I'm going to name it glass house. Okay. Cause the rocks a glass house, you know, and I feel like a lot of the time I, I, that's what I felt like I am this fragile thing that is always for the longest time has felt like, like a bucket on the end of a table about to fall over. And I feel like, that I'm just hanging, fucking hanging on. Right. And um, I've been really looking at that wordplay. And so I don't know. I think that I, I've been playing around with it. It's got to be something that is, I think that's usually the last thing that comes to, because like, I want to be able to look back at all these songs and be like, okay, what is the title? You want to listen book? to the whole thing front to back and then think about what you're thinking about. Yeah. And be like, what is, what what is, is my this? own music make me feel? Yeah. Because a title of an album could be really cool. You know what I mean? And like, I really want to like, especially when it's not a song title, right? It's not a title track. Like it makes you think about the collection of songs a lot differently. You look at like David Ramirez's fables. It's not a, it's not a, song name it's but you're like why did he name it that mm-hmm. you know like why why was that the name or uh you know ramirez i mean uh ryan adams's heartbreaker i'm pretty sure i don't think that was a song i don't know i could be totally wrong but um you know it's just i think that is the last finishing touch of like the last artist like poetic uh stamp right. on, on on a project my and, very first solo record i put out was called tonic and it wasn't because of 
my love of tonic water it was yeah. because tonic in uh music theory and roman numeral analysis tonic is number one and it was my first record and it's like that's why that's cool See, like, and there's that's... and there's a story there there's yeah. a reason why it's like and um you know unless you come up with a, have a cool ass fucking title track you know what i mean then it's like all right yeah that's kind of makes like like my last record drugs jesus and fireworks it's an observational record it's an observational song. Cool. I felt like it made sense with what the rest of the record was coming about. And every time they're like, what's your record called? <laughs> I've all, it's, it, it's been drugs, Jesus, fireworks. Like, oh, okay. I, that's, I wonder what this is going to be what about. This is about. Yeah. Like there's a lot going on in that title. So it's like, um, I think that is a part of the whole thing and, and definitely something to, to keep it. That's the fun part though. That's I cool. think. Yeah. I think I, I fucking hate titles. Though. <laughs> I suck at song titles. I, 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 cause it's so easy to take the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. Zachary like, Scott Klein. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then there's the, then there's the, the self-titled, you know, it's like, when does, when does that, when do you make it a self-titled record? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe is this a self-titled record? If it's about yourself, is that the thing? Right. When, I don't know. Like, is that traditionally how it's done? I think that's interesting. Like, why do people self-title things and not name it? I don't right. know. It could be. That's always an option too, but who knows? <laughs> well, Zach, thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Dude, buddy. Thank you so much, man. Can you give like, us your plugs where folks can find you on social media yeah, and uh, online? For sure. Uh, you could find me on Instagram, Zachary Scott Klein, uh, on the TikTok, Zachary Scott Klein music, which has been fun because I've just been doing a bunch of these alt country covers. Oh, yeah. It's been cool to just like be like, I'm going to do an old 97s cover. Like, why not? Um, but uh and then my I got a website, Zachary Scott Klein Music, and you can find me at Spotify and everything else, Zachary Scott Klein. So uh yeah, pretty, pretty uh pretty straightforward. Well, we'll have all of that linked in the episode description here. In the meantime, you can follow us at Nashville Tour Stop on your social media. You can find us at NashvilleTourStop.com on the web. You can find our show details. We've got a bunch of live shows coming up this summer. A couple of new places we're gonna be opening. Uh, with uh, with live music places that haven't had music in the past. We're going to be bringing some shows to you. We're excited about that. So we'll make an announcement about that a little bit later. But in the meantime, please do remember that all roads lead right back here to the Nashville Tour Stop. Nashville Tour Stop.